Going through this life is like going down a river treading water, trying to stay above the surface. Thoughts of discontent or grumbling are like weights that you tie on your body. They pull you down. But there's something else you can do that will lift you up right out of the water so you rise above the river, above the chaos of life. Your life can be like that today. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Why do we pursue our will instead of God's? Because we think it'll make us happy, right? Obviously, that's why we do it. This will make me happy. This is what will make me happy, so I'm going to pursue this. But it's the exact opposite, isn't it? It's just the opposite. It doesn't make us happy. Pursuing your own will above God's will makes you miserable because what it does, it makes you focus on what you haven't been given instead of what you have. And that kind of lifestyle, when you have a lifestyle that lives that way, it just feeds on itself and becomes worse and worse until you make yourself miserable. You make yourself miserable. It's like Psalm 42. Why are you, when it says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Literally, it's, why do you cast yourself down, O my soul? Why are you doing that? When we're downcast, so often it's because we cast ourselves down and we do that through complaining. See, every time you complain, you just intensify your suffering. You just make it worse. Complaining looks at a hard situation and finds the worst things about it and then just fixes all of its attention on that part until it makes you miserable. Your heart says, oh, uh, here's a new thing in my life. Uh, let me just feel around a bit and see if I can find some sharp edges. Oh, yeah, there's a sharp edge. Let me just, like, gouge that into my skin as forcefully as I can uh, and, and see how much pain I can inflict on myself. That's just what complaining does. It's just rubbing your face in your own troubles while ignoring your blessings. The kid in the restaurant could have just sat down and enjoyed an incredible meal. The food was amazing. And, and that was, no doubt, that was his parents' will for him, right? That's probably what they wanted, for him to just sit down and enjoy a really good meal. But his attitude was, not your will, mom and dad, my will be done. And he didn't get his will, and so, uh, yelling and screaming. When it was denied him then he, he, he missed, his heart refused the good thing that his parents willed for him in favor of something else. And so he's miserable in a place where everyone else is enjoying one of the most pleasurable things in life, really, really good food. That's what we do. That's the kind of, kind of insanity we fall into every time we complain. And we try to disguise it, because you don't want to come to grips with how much you complain, so you're just like, oh, it's, not, it's not complaining, you know, I'm not, I'm joking. I'm joking, you know, and it's, maybe you are joking, but some of us, we get into such sarcasm and, and we look at our joking and it's all complaining joking. It's all negative. It's all, and you, you think about that, it's like, hmm, what's the value in that? I mean, even if it is joking, what good is humor that just only focuses on negative things and drags everyone down instead of lifting them up? Is that valuable humor? Or another way we disguise it, we rename it. One of those popular ones in our culture is uh, venting. Are you complaining? No, no, no. I'm just venting. <laughs> Think for a second about how misleading that word is. That's what the world does. They come up with misleading names for sins. Venting 
the, what's the picture there? It's as if discontent is like some kind of gas or you know some kind of exhaust that sort of builds up inside you. It just needs to be expelled. And as soon as you get it out, then you're fine. Does that fit reality? No. No. Complaining is nothing like ventilating. It's a terrible word picture. It's the wrong word. Discontent is an attitude in the, in the heart, right? And attitudes don't go away when you express them, right? Do attitudes go away when you express them? No, what do they do? They intensify. If you're really sad and you express it, you're even sadder. If you're really mad and you express it, you get even madder. If you're really happy and you express it, you get even happier. This is what attitudes do. So if you're discontented and you express it, those feelings are just going to increase. It's not venting. The only way complaining resembles ventilating that I can think of is if you think of your discontent as being like a fire and you open your mouth and that's like opening the windows uh, that let a bunch of oxygen in and feed the thing even more. And complaining really is a lot like fire in the sense that it spreads, you know, like wildfire. It really does spread. It's contagious. I mean, if you ever want to get people to agree with you, just complain. Right? It'll, it's easy. If you, want, if you ever want to have power and influence in the church, just start grumbling, start blaming, start pointing fingers at leadership, people who are doing ministries, just criticize, and you will have a following in no time, I promise you. You will be a powerful, influential person in the church. Because that's, that's complaining etiquette. You know, when, you, when somebody, you're in a conversation and somebody says, they start out with, I hate it when, and then they say their latest pet peeve, um, complaining etiquette is you agree with them, right? You're just like, yeah, me too, that's, that's the worst, I hate it, yeah, that's the worst. Even if it's something that doesn't even really bother you, and you haven't even thought about it before, you're just like, yeah, yeah, I hate that too. Nothing is easier than getting people on board with negativity. It's piece of cake. That's how politicians get elected. They just get everybody stirred up about everything that's wrong. And there are people in the church that are like, they're, they're, they're complaint magnets. They're just, there's something about them that they just send out this signal that if you have a, a gripe about something, I'm the guy to talk to. You know, they just sort of they just get this pe- group of people around. Everybody that's got a complaint is like in the same, and they all start uh, feeding on each other's discontent, and, and they bring up things that the other ones didn't even think about, and they all become more and more discontented, and it just spreads. And you see that when you study the grumbling of the Israelites in the desert. When God brought the Israelites to the promised land, right before they cross over and and take the promised land, or they're supposed to cross over and take it, in Numbers 14, they all start grumbling. The whole nation just starts grumbling. And you see the word grumbling a bunch of times in that chapter. And they're all grumbling and moaning. And why are they grumbling? I mean, why would they be? How do they even know to grumble? They haven't even seen the land yet. And they're grumbling about it. How do they know to, to grumble? Well, they, they, they're, they're complaining based on a negative report from the spies that went over there. So these, uh, these 12 spies go over, 10 come, 12 of them come back. Ten of them uh, give this report, Numbers 13, 31. They say, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored. Um, so, so you've got a handful of men spreading a bad report, and immediately the entire nation of Israel is on board with them, and they're all complaining. Now, the other spies, Caleb and Joshua, they speak up in verse 8, and says, uh, they say, they just talk about God's promises. They said, he will lead us into the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. So you got a negative report, you got a positive report. So how are these people who are grumbling going to respond to this positive report that was just given by Caleb and Joshua? Verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> One of the most dangerous things you can ever do is get in the way of a bunch of complainers by saying something positive. That, they will not like that. See, it's really, really easy to drag people down. It takes absolutely no leadership skill at all. It is much harder to lift people up and inspire them. So, what happened to these Israelites? I mean, they're grumbling. They don't trust God. They don't believe His promise. They keep saying, we're going to die, we're going to die. Every time, every time they run into any hardship, ah, oh, aren't there enough graves in Egypt? We've got to die out here. So how does God respond? Look at verse 27. He says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so I will tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Everyone, 20 years or older more, who has, was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land. So they're like, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die in the desert, we're going to die in the desert. And God says, okay, you're going to die in the desert. <laughs> Be careful about your pessimism. You, you, can, you can talk yourself right into being judged by the very things you're being pessimistic about. What do you typically do to your own spirit with your words and your thoughts? Do you press yourself down? Rub your own nose and all your troubles? Pressing yourself down is foolish, and most of us know that to some degree. We have a sense that it's not healthy to indulge so many dark thoughts that you drive yourself into depression. But it's not enough just to avoid that. We need to use our words and thoughts to lift our souls to say hope-inspiring things to yourself and to strengthen your heart by reminding yourself about what God is like. Here's a rule of thumb. Never talk to yourself about your troubles. Talk to God about your troubles. Talk to yourself about God. Just read the Psalms. The psalmists, they don't hold back when they talk to God about what's bothering them. They talk about their troubles, but they don't lose their joy. They don't lose their hope because they spend so much time reminding themselves of truths about God. A typical psalm will have 10, 20 attributes of God, either stated or implied. Compare that to how many attributes of God you typically mention in one of your prayers. Make an effort today not just to avoid pressing yourself down, but to intentionally use your words and thoughts to exert upward pressure on your soul, to build up your faith and hope. Father, you are faithful. You are righteous. You are the great lawgiver. Your will is the standard for good, for all good. You are the source of life and the only preserver of life. You're worthy of praise. You're the only source of truth. And you teach your people. You hate evil. You punish the wicked. And you protect your people from evil. You're a refuge 
and a shield for your people. You make promises to your people and always keep them. You fill our lives with blessings if we simply trust those promises. And the greatest promise of all is the promise of your presence, which always satisfies all the cravings and needs of the human soul. Father, help me remember some of those 20 attributes that I just mentioned and others today. I want to fix my eyes on your glory. And help me remember the things you've said are true of me, that I'm your adopted son, that I'm in Christ, that my destiny is to do the good works you prepared in advance for me to do and to be conformed to the image of your son. I am a new creation with a new nature. You delight in me like I delight in my children. And the reason I exist is for your glory. And I glorify you when I imitate you. I was created to be like you in true righteousness and holiness. You gave me the right to become your child. And what I will be when I see your son hasn't even been revealed. You made me a member of a holy nation. You've made me a royal priest, a man belonging to you. I'm part of the new temple, your holy dwelling, where I also function as a priest, offering acceptable sacrifices. I'm both part of the dwelling and a priest within the dwelling. I'm a lamb under your tender care a soldier in your awesome army. You made me a little lower than the gods and crowned me with love and compassion. You are orchestrating all of history to bring about your plan where I will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.